0: The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Our personality, Rabbi Yisrael Abu HaTzerah, that's what's starting now. He was born Rosh Hashanah, 1890. His father was a great Mikubal called Rav Masud, and his mother raised him Bikdusha, as in all our stories. They say that she did not let anybody touch him but a Jewish servant. Nobody was allowed to touch him unless they also had Kidusha. And she always took his crib to the place where people were learning. He said that he was raised in the house of Kiddushah. His father was holy. He had an older brother, David, that was 24 years older than him. We'll find out about him a little later. And his grandfather was known as the Abir Yaakov, who was a holy Yaakov, Abu Hatzair, who's buried in Egypt in a place called Damanhur in Egypt. To this day, it's a holy site. There's a rabbi in our community that didn't have children for many years. And he traveled to Egypt to the tomb of the Abir Yaakov, and he was answered that year. There's a story we told over with Hamitz HaKalphia. During World War II, before the Germans were entering Yerushalayim, he had a dream, go to the tomb of Rabbi Yaakov Abu Hatzera and pray for the people. He took a train to Egypt and prayed there. So his father was holy, his grandfather was holy. And the lessons he said he learned in his house, four or five lessons on Kidusha. Number one, You only reach Kiddushah if you learn with great diligence. There's no way you can reach Kiddushah just by fasting or just by wearing hoods and covering your eyes. If a person doesn't learn, they can't become holy. So rule number one is learn with diligence. Rule number two, eat very little. And he was a very thin man, and we'll see his eating. Rule number three, don't talk a lot. Rule number four, stay off the streets. He stayed, he was always in his house, and when he went out in the streets of Morocco and the Early 1900s, you'll see almost there's never a picture of him without a hood on. He always had a hood, a scarf around his head. So even when he had to go out in the streets, he would wear the hood over his head. And that's why he would not see anything he shouldn't see. And the last thing was a mikveh Before I tell the next story, which I'm going to give a background on it because it was, it's hard to believe. So I'm going to give a background. With a quote from a sefer called al- Musar, written by Avraham Entebi, the chief rabbi of Syria about 200 years ago. He writes like this. I'll translate it, you could look it up in the book we said in the past, I won't read it Hebrew, we'll save some time. He says, the custom that we have in Aleppo, that during the weeks of Shovavim, those are the six weeks from Shmot till Truma, that people fast an entire week from Saturday night till Friday morning, that's six days straight. He says, and then on Friday afternoon they go to the Mikveh, it's a, of course if you do this, All your sins are forgiven without a question. But he says a person should not do this because they're putting themselves into a danger. And I heard that the chief rabbi before him, Rav Shlomo Lanyado, was protested that people should not do this, it's dangerous. Do not fast six days in a row. What should you do? You should fast two days, take a half a day break, and then two days. That's a good custom. And there are people that do that to this day where they fast from Saturday night, the entire Sunday, the entire Monday, and then they break their fast after those two days, then they eat for a day, and then they fast another two days, and that's a good thing to do. But going six days straight, that's overdoing. it. So when I saw this, I called Rabbi Nachum, and I said, Rabbi, when they say six days straight, they mean no drinking, nothing, six days straight. He says, of course, six days straight. I said, that's impossible. Six days straight, you die six days straight. He says, what do you mean? And interesting, I was the class that would beginning. He says, What do you mean? The Baba Sali lived in our times. And he did it all he did it quite often. He passed six days straight. Okay. More than that, he said. He said that when he was in Casablanca a few years ago, he was at a wedding and he saw an old woman that he said her face was shining. He looked at her and he saw her face was shining. And he asked him, Who's this lady? They said it's a holy lady. He says, I want he wanted to go. And he said, People go to this lady for blessings. He says, I want to go to her. I want to meet this lady. They took her to meet the lady. And he said, what's, what's your secret? So she was brought up in the town of the Babasali. And she said six or seven times in her life, she fasted from Saturday night until Friday afternoon. And that's what she attributed her Kiddushah to. So believe it or not, there are people that have done this. I don't know if anyone still does it, but have done it. The Babasali, the first time he did this, when he was 12 years old, a boy of 12, he had to sneak because his father, if he would find out, would not have let him. At 12 years old, he had the desire to be on this level of Kiddushah that he fasted six days straight, no eating and no drinking, till going to the mikveh on Friday afternoon. Rabbi Harel, Rabbi Ades had somebody that was with him on this trip, Rabbi Harel. Rabbi Harel, the Baba Sali's son-in-law. Baba Sali was married twice, and he married his youngest daughter. So his father-in-law was 70 or 80 when he got married and he passed away at 94 or something. So he was his father-in-law for 14 years. And he told me the following story. I called him up. The book that I used for this happened to be written by Rabbi Harel. He wrote a whole book on his father-in-law called Ma'ori Yisrael. And he says, there's a lot of stories that I didn't put in the book. There's so many stories. I just wanted to take understanding my father-in-law on his way. But I left out a lot of stories. He told me the following story. There was a man, the purpose of the story that he said was not the fasting. He was like, that was like, Hashut, he wasn't even trying to tell me that. He was trying to bring out a different point. What was the story? There was a fellow that was in his community that had moved to France, Lyon, and he heard that this man had opened his store on Shabbat. So he traveled from Morocco to this man to give him usar, not to fa- not to work on Shabbat, and he agreed. He said, but you know what? Now you need a tikkun. You need- you need to fix yourself. He says, what should I do? You have to fast from Saturday night, Till Friday afternoon straight. The man says, I'm going to die, I can't do it. So the Baba Sali says, you know what? I'll fast with you. And I'll learn with you straight for six days and you won't feel it. And they did. At the end of the six days, there was no mikveh in Lyon. They had to travel two and a half hours to Ex-Laban. They went to the mikveh at the end of the six days. Rabbi harel was telling me the story to say, look at my father-in-law's concern for people that he was willing to fast with this man to make it easier. The fact that you fast six days, that's not like, we're not even discussing that. That's a given. The Hidush was that here he goes, and he's willing, it's like it's like deal, a doctor, that's willing to go through treatment with the patient just to make the patient feel at ease. So here the Babasali fasts with this man just to make him feel at ease. This part of the story, part of it, is in the book. The second half we'll get to it. On the last trip to Israel, I heard it from Rabbi Moshe Malka. Rabbi Malka was very close to the Baba Sali, extremely close. You'll see a lot of stories about the Baba Sali. You can connect a little bit to Rabbi Malka. You'll see the connections. He has a picture in his office, a life-size picture of him and the Baba Sali in his office in Israel. In the second half of the story, he heard from the Baba Sali, and we, I didn't put out the tape, but I have it on tape by Malka telling the story. 1916, World War II, World War I is raging. The French take over Morocco. The Muslim rebels fight back, and a cruel leader takes over. One of these Muslims with one of these Saddam kind of leaders uh, outlaws snuff, the devil made snuff, and those kind of craziness. In 1919, a Rabbi Moshe Dahan, a great Mekubal, was on his deathbed, and he was telling people different secrets. The Baba Sali won him, and he told him. You and your brother, his older brother David, now he was uh, 29. His older brother was 24 years older than him. He said, you and your brothers are both going to be mechaper on the generation. They're going to atone the sins of the generations. Walked out all scared. He went to his brother. His brother says, don't worry. I will atone with my death. And you're going to atone by living a long life. Didn't really comfort him to hear that from his brother. He's going to atone with his death. But that's what he told him. A year later, 1920, Starting Rosh Hashanah of 1920, his brother, all he's learning in depth is the topics of the Gemara that discuss Kiddush Hashem, giving your life for God. Learning about Rabbi Akiva, and that's all he's learning about. Kislev time, Hanukkah, this crazy leader makes a decree, death to all the Jews in this town. Wiping out the Jews of this town, Taflilat was the name of the town. And he didn't give a date, but prepare yourselves for your end. That Friday... Ham David, Abu Hatzera, comes to Shul, not dressed in his regular white, he's dressed in black. Everyone's concerned, why is he dressed in black? He stays up the whole night learning. That day, Hatzolt, they surround the town, and they say, that's it. By the, by tonight, the the town will be wiped out. This Rabbi David gets up in Shul and tells the people, I've been praying for the past few months, and Rosh Hashanah, I saw this decree. I'm praying that Hashem should take me and spare the town. Everyone, comes to tears and at that moment the soldiers walk in and they say we changed our mind we want the rabbi we're leaving the people they take him in and they tie him to a cannon and they kill him in a in a horrible way and this great rabbi of the town was died al kiddush hashem the baba 29 he's broken this was his mentor his leader his and he's died a tragic death at age 30, the Baba the town broke up, they dispersed, they ran away. The Baba Babasali decides he's going to go to Israel for a year. 1930, at age 30, he goes to Israel. I'm sorry, 1920, at age 30, he goes to Israel. He visits Yeshivat Ohel Moed, which was the, the predecessor of Porat Yosef, and there he meets Cham Ezra Raful, Cham Avraham Ades, and Cham Shaul Dwek. Interesting, all the rabbis that we happen to discuss it's in the book. He went there and he sat there and all his questions in Kabbalah, he asked Ham Abraham hades, and he asked these great Syrian mukhubalim. So again, we never know how far-reaching are the tentacles of our community. I'm reading this book, and here we have the Baba Sali's being influenced by the Syrian mukhubalim of Yeshivat Olamoed. He goes to visit a rabbi called Shlomo Eliezer Alfandri, who is known as the Saba Kadisha, the Holy Old Man. He lived till 105. At this point, he was 95 years old. The Baba Sali came to him when he walked in. The story is told over by Ham David Lanyado, Lanyaro brother's father, Ham David, who wrote a book like Toshima Sher It's One day we should talk about him, another great rabbi. He was there when the Baba Sali went to visit. The Saba Kadisha stood up for the Baba Sali and asked him for a beracha. The ninety five year old rabbi is asking this thirty year old young man, so to say, for a beracha. The word went out and this was the first publication of his greatness that the Saba Kadisha asked him for a blessing. He spent a year in Israel. The purpose was, the little comfort he could get was to put out his brother's writings, his brother that had been killed. 1922, he goes back to Morocco. The book that he put out, he wrote a introduction, a 10-page introduction that they have in this book. What's fascinating is the introduction he doesn't write in regular Hebrew. Everything is a quote from another book, meaning he talks, it's like if someone learned Bava Kama, opening words are, He starts bringing that in to to, to Kabbalah, he's using Tisukim, Midrashim, and everything is a quote that if you're not well-versed, you can't understand what he's talking about. They brought the introduction years later to Chaim Kanyevsky, who's a tremendous Baki, knows where all different things are, and he wrote 214 footnotes to explain the sources of the Baba Salah's introduction at 30. It's, it's fascinating to look at, that they had to bring it to one of the Gedele to write the footnotes because he's quoting Zohar's and, and everything is another quote. It's, it's You see his gadlut from this, just from this introduction. He goes back to Morocco and until 1926, he's still broken over his brother's passing. This is whereby Malkus starts the story. He's broken over his brother's passing, he did not go to a wedding, to a party, to anything, he's not celebrating, he's literally in mourning for six years. The week of his brother's yardside, he happened to be fasting two days in a row for a Shohalim thing, and he forgot it was his brother's yardside, normally on the yardside he would have had a seudah, he forgot about the yardside. On the night before the Yahrzeit, he's fasting. He goes to sleep and he has a dream. And his brother comes to him and says, Why are you mourning so much? Why are you still upset about my passing? I didn't feel any pain when they killed me. Which it says that people that dial Kiddush Hashem don't feel any pain. I'm in a very high place in Gan Eden. Stop your mourning. Start a new page in your life with happiness in your serving of Hashem. He was so excited about the dream, he got up. He annulled his vow to fast. And he made a seudah that day. And from then on, he just looked at his brother's passing in a positive light. A year later, he returned to Eretz Yisrael. Sorry, 11 years later, in 1933. And this time, Porat Yosef is already yeshiva, and he sleeps in Porat Yosef. On his second trip to Israel, that's his dormitory. He moves into Porat Yosef, he meets HaChem Ezra was the a Rosh shiva for the first time, HaM Yaakov Ades, Kam and... Our chief Rabbi Ham Yaakov at the time was there and he met him as well in Israel. The next thing we, that he was careful on was careful with what he eats. We know Sadiqim are extra careful. He would only eat food if he checked the knife before the butcher did the shechita. That's how careful he was until the certain butcher that checked the knife, the, a, his grandfather came in a dream to the butcher and told him, tell My grandson, you're an honest person, he can eat the shechita without checking the knife. A certain fellow never ate any meat out of the house. He was Mahmir. he came to the Babasali's house, and he was careful, he's not eating meat there either, he has a Kabbalah, he doesn't eat meat out of the house, only from his own shechita. People told him the Babasalis watched from heaven, no unkosher food would be served from his table, the man said no. A few months later, this fellow and a group of his friends, we're going to pick Etrogim, it was Elul time. And they said, you know what? We're near the Baba Sali. they were out in the in the Negev. Let's go, we'll stop in there get a bit of a for a new year. It was a few days before Rosh Hashanah. As they're getting closer, they see a shohet is slaughtering a sheep. So they said, now hey, now's an opportunity. Let's go and we'll show some of the fellows that were not as familiar with the laws of checking the lung. So they go over this, this shohet who had checked the lung fast. They said, you know what? We want to sit here and make this a case study. They put their hands in and they checked, they checked, and everyone checked. And after going through it ten times in the back of the lung, they found a little something that made it that it wasn't Halak. Okay, it's kosher, it wasn't Bet Yosef. He asked the shohet, the shohet says, Oh, thank you for this, it's, it's, you came here, this animal I was slaughtering for the Baba Sali's house, and now we're not going to send it to him. So this fellow saw firsthand how he was the one to come there to protect the Baba Salih from eating something that shouldn't go into his mouth. In another case, he was in France, and an Israeli guest went to the kitchen that wasn't normally there in the house, and he noticed that the watermelon had a sticker on it that said Carmel. The host did not realize this, they didn't know what it meant. And he said Carmel means it comes from Israel. and an Israeli watermelon, you didn't take Tremot Masrot, you didn't take the tithes properly and of course they put the watermelon away, and again it's a case where he was saved from eating this watermelon. Side point to, to know, you can find Holland peppers that are grown in Israel, in Deal, New Jersey. So that's a side point to be careful with. He always accepted Shabbat. When he accepted Shabbat early, we do this in the summer, there's a whole question, the man accepts Shabbat at 7 o'clock, and sunset is 8.30. Can he come home at 8 o'clock and his wife's cooking? not proper, maybe yes, maybe no, not the spirit, we're not going to, he had a rule in his house, when I accept Shabbat, everyone accepts Shabbat, so if I go to Shul 7, that's it, one week his wife was not fully prepared, and she says, you know what, I'll have the housekeeper turn the fire on, because it's anyway, it's still not Shabbat for me yet, and it'll be okay, she didn't tell anyone and she did that. That night, somebody banged into a pot, the pot knocked into another pot, and all the pots went spilling over. And she told her husband, I confess, I didn't tell you, I had the housekeeper turn it on, when you said it was Shabbat, I didn't listen to you, and all the pots knocked over. Till now, we didn't tell any real heebie-jeebie stories, because again, the purpose of this book is not to tell the all that, but there are some stories that I'll share with you. He went to France, and he requested a certain fish called an afrokh. I don't exactly know what that brand fish is. It was a hard-to-get fish out of season, and by law, like you have certain fish that you can't fish at a certain season, by law, it was not allowed to be taken into the net at that time of the year. He said he wants it. The fellow says, okay, I'll try, but it's almost impossible what you're asking for. The man went to shul, and he realized he forgot his tiffy lane. He went back home. On his way back home, he sees a man coming with a net with fish. He says, wow, unbelievable. He says, do you happen to have this Afrog fish?" Man's face turns white. He says, what'd you see? What do you know? There's nothing. I'm just asking you. This man had illegally gotten one of these fish and he happened to, no happened to meet the man that has the fish. So it's a lot. It was a large fish, six kilo. The price was five times the price of a regular thing. Baba Sali wants it. He buys it. He comes. They cook it. It was a certain, it was a yard site of a certain Sadiq. I forgot who and they make the fish, and they invite a lot of people, they make a sudat mitzvah, and everyone eats from this fish. So the fellow, was, he says, what's going on? You need this fish? So the Baba Sali says, I saw there was a certain man, that came back as a fish. And he needed a tikkun. He swam all the way to France, to come here, to be served at this sudat mitzvah, in order to get a tikkun. Now let's just say a side point, everyone knows the talking fish story, we're not going to get into the talking fish story, but, It's brought down in the books of Kabbalah. We know people come back as different things. If a person comes back as an animal, it's it's more painful because the shachita hurts. A fish doesn't have to be slaughtered. And therefore, the best possible way to come back for a minor tikkun is to be served as a sudat mitzvah, as a fish. And as we know in the talking fish story, the fish jumped back inside the bunch and they served it so somebody in Hemanzi Maybe, maybe, well, yeah, if it's people, are, they're, they're everywhere. I'm saying this is the story. It's not only in fish. The story with Rabbeinu Akadosh, this is the way the Peleoates explains the story. It says Rabbeinu Akadosh was once walking and a cow was on the way to go to be slaughtered and it came running to him and he told the cow, what are you, what are you coming to me? Lakach Nel that's who you were created for. And says he, he was in pain for 13 years because he didn't have mercy on the animal. Right? We know the story. Gemara tells the story. The Pelewaite says, come on, what, we're talking to animals? He says, no, this wasn't a plain animal. This was a Gilgul. And he was scared of being slaughtered. And he came to Rabbeinu Kadosh and he says, stop whining over here. This is why Hashem brought you into this world. This is your tikkun. Be a man and just go. So it wasn't just a plain animal getting slaughtered. Again, once we're on the heebie I'll tell you one last story. This yeshiva that I went to in Ber Yaakov, Israel, Volva was the mashkiach, and a Rabbi Moshe Shmuel Shapiro was the Rosh yeshiva. And believe it or not, this happened before my time, but they told me when I was there. There was a time, certain time period where the Rosh Shiva gave a shiur, and every time he started to give a shiur, a certain cat came and sat outside the shiur. When the shiur was over, the cat left. And this is going on for a week or two weeks, and people are noticing. They told the Rosh Hashiva, you know something strange over here. Every time you start the class, the cat sits outside the door, and then when you finish the class, he leaves. Okay, they tell the Rosh Hashiva. Now, obviously you have to be on a high level to think like this. He walks out that day, he looks at the cat, and he says, You're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're forgiven. means just in case, who knows, maybe. The cat runs out, runs across the street, gets hit by a car. End of cat. Okay, little story from Ber Yaakov. Meaning we don't know what's going on, but all we have to do is, we do our Torah and Mitzvot, and Hashem directs everything. We're not on these levels to do these things. Is every Friday afternoon he would read Shnai Mikra veChad Targum from the Sefer Torah, meaning he would have read the pasuk from the Sefer Torah and someone would read that Tagum, Tremendous Kiddushah you get if you read it from the Sefer Torah. The Gaon of Vilna would do the same. All his guests in his house for Shabbat would have to arrive before hatsot. If you didn't come before midday, you weren't invited because he didn't want people to be traveling in the afternoon. He was also careful not to use any electricity on Shabbat in Israel, the Hazonish held, that since the people that are working in the factory are Mechalei Shabbat, so he felt it was a Chilul Hashem for a person to be benefiting from public desecration of Shabbat, and he was careful, like the Hazonish felt, to have his own generator in his hand. On Shabbat, he ate on his grandfather's table, the Abir Yaakov, he brought the table with him from Morocco, because as we know, we've mentioned in previous classes, if you have a certain item where a lot of Kiddushah happened, the item itself became holy. And people used to kiss this table on Shabbat because the kiddushah of it, and all these mitzvot happened on it. We told a similar story, where we once went to Lakewood, we took our bus to Lakewood, and we went to a Malkiel Cutler's house, and he showed us the stender of Aaron Cutler, and without thinking, some of the fellows just went over to kiss the stender. You got a feeling there's a kiddushah here in the spot. He also used to make Kiddush Friday night on his grandfather's Kiddush cup. Interesting, in one of the Hespedim on Han ben Sion, when he was there, they showed him the cup. And some of the people were looking at it, wow, what a gorgeous cup. The first thing he started to do was figuring out the amount of ounces that were in the cup. It was the hazonish ishiur of rivi'it? Was it the smallest ishiur? He looked at everything with the halakha way of looking at things. He was able to feel... When his tefillin were pasul, he would say, I feel something's wrong with my tefillin. I don't feel the connection. He would take it to the sofa, and sure enough, there's a letter crack. Meaning people, we don't, we look at tefillin, we think, oh, you're wearing tefillin, you know. But we don't realize that tefillin is like a, a receiver, and it receives the radio waves, and if there's a letter off, you don't feel it. We told a story, it happens to be last week, we spoke about the Kappa haim. We didn't bring it down, but there was a rabbi called Rabbi Montenegro, who is now the chief rabbi in Morocco, when he was a young boy, he went to a yeshiva in Akslaban, and the Rosh Hashiva, when he came in the first day, he was watching him the entire shahrit. Just couldn't keep his eyes off him. The boy thought, what am I doing wrong? After shachrit, the Rosh Hashiva calls the over. and says, "What?" The boy says, what do you want? He says, I'm looking at your tefillin, and I see a light coming out of them. Where would you get your tefillin? He says, my father got them from the Kappa Hayim Sofer. He wrote the tefillin, and this Rosh Shiva was able to see the light coming out of the Tefillin. And he said, do me a favor. I want to put on these Tefillin every day. But how they spoke about it over here, now before Mencha, That if we had eyes to see, he gave many, many examples of rabbis that were able to see things. The Ramchal says, when you take a Sefer Torah out from the hechal, if you would have eyes to see, you would see fire coming out of the Sefer Torah. And that's only when it comes out, not when it goes back. Because on the way there, it's on the way to do a mitzvah. Once the mitzvah is finished, it doesn't come out. He said, that's why there's a machloket. We do, we pick up the sefer before the reading. Ashkenazim, pick it up after. The reason why we pick it up before is we want the ladies to see it when the fire is still coming out. So that's people that have a connection. They're able to see if the fire is not coming out of the tefillin, something's wrong with the tefillin. Once he could not sleep at night in the house because, and he couldn't sleep. So he went searching the house and he found it was in the house. There was a certain item that had a cross on it. They didn't realize and he wasn't able to sleep. He destroyed it and he was able to fall asleep. And his son-in-law in the book tells a story to connect to this. There was a great Rebbe called the Rebbe Elimelech of Luzinsk. One of the big Sadiqim. He's one of the sources of the Tanit Dibor in the same Tilim three times. That's where Rebbe Alfia got it from this Rebbe Elimelech. He was once seen, this Reb Eliyelch was sleeping for a while on an afternoon, and one of the Hasidim told somebody says that this is the, you know he sits sleeps two hours whatever Shabbat, whatever the story was he was sleeping a little bit longer than was expected. So his brother said, "You think he's just sleeping?" He said, "Let me show you." He went over to the mezuzah and he covered the mezuzah in the room where his brother was sleeping. When he covered the mezuzah, he started to get up. He took his hand off. He started to go down. Put the he covered the mezuzah. He started to grab. He says, You think my brother's just sleeping? He's connected. He's doing something now. If he doesn't feel the Kiddushah, then he's going to stop sleeping. So these are people that are able to see and feel things on a higher level. He was always careful to say Tefillah at the right time. Shahrit, always Vatikim. Mincha, before sunset, as Arbit, after Sayta Kokavim. And not delaying the time. He hired a van to take a long trip once. He told the driver. We stop at Minha, we stop at Arbit. And the driver agreed. As the day is going on, he's going to stand here for half an hour. He says, no, we're not stopping, he's driving. Sure enough, at that moment, he gets a flat tire. The van stops, the Babasala gets out, because he did not want to pray in motion. Got out, prayed, by the time they finished the flat and everything, he was able to get back on and continue. He once drove, there was no moon. the moon, moon, it was covered by the clouds to make Berkat Levana, and it says making Berkat Levana is like accepting the Shekhinah. He checked the weather reports in some other city, and two and a half hours away, there was a spot that was a clear night. He hired a driver, drove two and a half hours in order to make Berkat Levana. The next story, the Mikveh, they needed to make a new Mikveh in Morocco. This is before any plumbing. And we know a Mikveh must have rainwater So they went and they made the mikveh, and it was during the winter to the summertime. It was not a rainy season. And after they got the mikveh ready, which you need immediately for ladies to be pure, he said, Ribbono Shalom, you commanded us to live with holiness and purity. We want to do what you want. We did our job. Now you do yours for the sake of your holy name. And sure enough, moments later the clouds filled the sky, and it began to rain, and the mikveh was full. Okay. It's a similar story. Uh, Alan and Carol Haber have a write-up where they made a Mcvan in and it rained there in the season where it never rains and it filled up the mcvan I think since then, past three years, it hasn't rained at all. It rained that one time to fill up this one mcvan Okay, so the Sali fills the mcvan after checking the mikveh, he realizes there was one opinion of a rabbi called the Beit Yehudah that they had not done in making the mikveh. One of the pipes was not done according to this one opinion. And according to that one opinion of another hundred opinions, it wasn't good. And he says, I want the mikveh to be according to all opinions. They told him, once a miracle happens, twice, he says no. He emptied the entire mikveh and fixed the pipe. And now in his prayer he said, Baal Bet Yehuda." He talked to this rabbi who was fulfilling his p- opinion. You know and I know that I did not do this for my respect and for the respect of my father. I only did it to have extra purity Jewish people. Please go and pray to Hashem because I did it to fulfill your opinion. Years ago, end the story, and of course, the clouds come and it rains. Years ago, first time Amalka came on our bus, he told over a story that he wanted to have in his yeshiva a generator on Shabbat to fulfill the opinion of the Hazonish. His yeshiva started, I don't know, 20 years ago. So he's telling us the story they built, and now they did not ask permission, they needed a certain variance to build a generator, they said, what do we... They just went and they built it. The neighbor came to complain, and they complained to the government, the government came, they wanted them to have to root everything, and it would cause a whole kind of problems. So he said, so what'd you do? He said, so I went to the Hazonish. He said, You went to the Hazonish 20 years ago. The Hazonish passed away 40 years ago. He says, No, I went to the Beit Midrash and I opened up the Sefer for Hazonish and I said, Hazonish, doing this generator to fulfill your opinion. Please go to Hashem and pray because I'm doing this to fulfill your opinion. The fellow that had tried to report on him got caught the next day on tax evasion. They put him in jail. He took off his his, his complaint and the generator. Continued. But it hit me that obviously he learned this from Amalka that sometimes when you're fulfilling the opinion of a rabbi that passed away, you can ask him to pray for you because you're trying to fulfill his opinion. This is a story. We all have heard the story of the plane hijacking that Ham Yosef and Ham Avraham Raful were on the plane. The plane was hijacked to Jordan and they were in the desert in Jordan for three weeks. When the plane was hijacked, so Ham Yosef's and Ham Avram's uncle, Ham David Raful, went with a bunch of people to the Baba Sali after two days that they had been hijacked to pray. They come into the Baba Sali, and he had just washed the tilacha and the table's set for a big meal. Okay, he washes and he tells everyone else to wash and they're sad and they're distraught and he says, everyone wash, everyone eat. And they say, look, Rabbi, we came here. I don't, I don't care what you came here for. Everyone has to eat. And they they don't want to eat. They're upset. And finally, his son-in-law says, you know, you remember Ham David? You remember his father? Ham Ezra? You remember from Porat Yosef? Yeah. And he starts, to, he starts to break down crying. My nephews. Baba Sali says, you think that I had to wait for you to come here? To do something? You think I'm waiting for you? I heard the plane got hijacked. I've been fasting for the past two days. I hardly slept for the past two nights. And last night... I prayed, and after I finished praying and I lit a candle for the Sadiqim. we'll see in a moment what that is, he was very big into lighting candles, I saw a strong light come out of the candle and I knew my prayers were answered. And therefore, I'm making a seudah now to celebrate. So it hit me. We would celebrate after the mir- no, I saw the Tifilah was answered, so I'm celebrating the Tifilah was answered. And he says, don't worry, by Rosh Hashanah they'll be home. Okay? Baba Salah said so. And they waited. You can ask Ham Yosef. They landed in America, Erev Rosh Hashanah. They had enough time to go home, put their Tifilin on, because they hadn't put them on in a month, put on their suit, and they went straight to Shul. They got there an hour before Rosh Hashanah. His words were, they'll be home before Rosh Hashanah, within the hour they were there. We're talking about lighting candles. He used to say that we know it says, Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. A person's nishamah is compared to a candle. And just so like a candle has a fire, which is a spiritual part, and it has a wick, which is physical, so too the Nishama is spiritual and the body is physical. When you light a candle in honor of a sadiq, you prepare a place for the sadiq's Nishama to somehow be in the place that you're lighting the candle. And we know people have custom on a yard site to light a candle. And on the yard side of the Sadiq, Rabbi Meir people will light a candle, on Lakbaum we light candles. The Dalid Shvat is the yard side of the Baba Sali. There's a Moroccan community in Toronto that they make a very big hilula, a very big party. The entire town comes on the Baba Sali's yard site. And last year I went to Toronto and I spoke there on his yard site, a few hundred people. And the highlight of the night, which according to this works, makes a lot of sense. Is they have maybe 15 different candles, one for Bishimon Yochai, one for the Abir Yaakov, one for Bisrael Bel Khazai, each one, and they auction off lighting the candles. Thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars to light a candle, to have the zachut to do something in honor of a Sadiq lighting the candles. It's a very big inyan, and that's the Baba Sali who's a strong believer in lighting of these candles. In another case that there was a plane hijacking, he was overheard saying. The pain that I have for each one of the people that was taken was greater than the people themselves that were in the, in the, on the plane. In order for his miracles to work, like any beracha to work, the person that's getting the beracha has to believe in the in the beracha. The famous story—it's told about other people, but of someone that didn't have children and came for a beracha, and he told them, "Go out and buy a crib." Such a story happened with the Baba where He said, "To show you, Emunai, you have to." By the crib. He was known I still have a bottle in a house in Muncie. I was Zochet to go to the Baba Sali when how many years ago? It was twenty one years ago. I was in Yeshiva and I, Yeshiva did not let you leave just going for no reason. My parents came from America the first year I was there. And I went to the Ravoba was the Mashkiach and I said, Can I take a day off from Yeshiva? I want to go to the Baba Sali. I thought for sure it's Learn. He it says, Go to the Baba Sali without a question. To see an Adam Gadol like that, take a day off and go. And I was okay to go there, and we had a seudah with him. Was on Rosh Chodesh, and I got a berachah, and we got a bottle of water, which he was famous—a bottle of arak that he used to bless the bottle, and people used to drink it for rufua. So one time, a couple came for a berachah for children, and they gave—they used to, used to give a little money to him for siddakah, They gave him a hundred shekel, and they took a bottle. Fifteen minutes later, he tells his shamosh go to the bus station. These people at the bus station get the bottle back. Get the bottle back. They took a bottle for a bit. Okay, so get the bottle back. Okay. He goes to the bus station. He overhears the couple's argument. Man says to the lady, you dragged me here for three hours to pay a hundred shekel for a bottle of water? And he's arguing with her. So the Shamosh says, would you like your hundred shekel back? He says, yeah. He gives the hundred shekel back. He takes the bottle back. The Baba Sali says, these people don't believe. It wouldn't work for them. Therefore, let's bring it back for someone that believes. So he, they had the, he sensed that the bottle wouldn't work for them, he took it back. In another story, a person came for a Berakha, and the Baba of did not want to give the person a Berakha. He gave a name. He says, no, he wasn't giving a Berakha. Sometimes he felt that it wasn't going to work. So the person had an idea. He gave a list. He gave bottles. He used to bless the bottle. And he said the name, and he blessed the bottle, assuming that he would forget it. Then, okay, we'll get the bottle to go to the person. Okay. He takes the bottle. A person lived out of Israel. He sent it person was bringing it to this sick person's house to drink. As he's walking to a house, a dog attacks him. The bottle falls and breaks. Baba Sali felt that the bedachah wasn't proper, so even though he snuck the bottle out, the bottle broke. In another case of a couple that wanted a bedachah for children, he told the husband you have books in your house that have improper things, improper thoughts. It's keeping the bedachah out of the house. The man said, okay all I have is funny, I don't have anything, my house is clean. He went, the Baba Sali said, he checked, he checked, he checked. Under his wife's bed, she had some ladies' magazines, she used to keep it under her bed, and they got rid of the magazines, and he said, once you got the Tumah out of the house, the Beracha was able to come in. In another story, of Mordechai Eliyahu was within the year of his mother's passing, and the Baba Sali invited him to his house for a certain sigudah. And he says, Look, I don't wanna go, I'm in mourning. He says, No, you have to come. Okay? The Baba says, Yes to come, he came. And he says, Okay, and your you're to respect your mourning, we won't sing any songs. We'll only say divrei Torah. In the middle of the meal they get a knock at the door, it's the police. Is Rabbi Eliyahu here? Yes, what happened? You were you were a judge in a certain case, the people were upset. There were three judges. The other two judges, they beat. They came to your house looking for you, these thugs, and you weren't there. We want to now go and protect you, give us information who these people were. So Baba Sali, by inviting him to his house, saved him from these thugs. A certain fellow that was involved in community service became sick, and they overheard the Baba Sali praying, Hashem, who will take care of the widows? Who will take care of the orphans? Who will take care of the sick? If you don't get this man better... He says, I'm already, I stay home all day. I learn all day. I can learn even if I'm not feeling well. Please, Hashem, take the sickness away from him, and I can learn even though I'm sick, let me receive his sickness instead of him. He lived in Nittivot, which was out in a desert, in a hick town. He could have lived in and What was he living in Nittivot? If anyone, if you ever went there to where his yeshiva is, where his house is, it's out, nowhere. And he once told somebody, Dayol eved liot kirabo. A servant cannot live in a fancier place than his master. My master God, his house is destroyed. I'm gonna live in a populated, in a upscale neighborhood in Israel when my master lives in such a hovel. That's why he lived in Nitivolt. He was in Nitivolt, and the Shiva boys of Nitivot got to know him. There's a famous story I've told it over in the past, but today's Baba Sali Day, so we're gonna tell it again. A boy from Netivot was going to Yushalayim and he came to the Baba Sali for a Beracha. Yeshiva boy comes in for a Beracha. The Baba Sali says, You want a Beracha? You get up late in the morning for Shachrit. You don't learn with all your efforts. And he screams and yells at him. He's embarrassed. He can't believe it. Publicly embarrassed. He walks out. Okay, doesn't ask any questions. He's driving now to Yushalayim. The car turns over. He comes, escapes miraculously. There were casualties. Now he's totally spooked out. The Baba Sala yelled at him. The car turned over. What's the meaning? He goes back to the Baba Sala. He's shivering. What, what did he do wrong? Baba Sala sees him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He says, Baruch Hashem, it worked. He says, what do you mean? He says, you walked into me this morning. I saw on your forehead a death decree. You weren't going to live out the day. And I said to myself, how can I save you? And it says that if you embarrass somebody publicly, it's as if you killed the person. So I decided maybe if I embarrass you God will consider that as if you got killed and you will save your I could save your life. Baruch hashem it worked and your life was saved. We're not saying you should try that on your friends, but the point is he was able to see this on the person and think of a way to get out. Another story his son-in-law told me, a fellow rabbi Karp, he heard the story from this rabbi Karp. He was going out and he went the Baba, he went to Rabbi Mordechai Sharabi, who was also a big makubal in Yerushalayim, and he said, he was going out, he wasn't sure, and he went to ask him if this girl's the right girl, her name was Devorah Le'abat Miriam, and the Rabbi Sharabi says, yes, it sounds like it's the right girl. Goes out another two, three times, it just doesn't feel right. He says, you know what, I'll go to the Baba Sali. He goes to the Baba Sali. he says, I'm going out with a girl, Devorah Le'abat Miriam, what do you think? She so starts to laugh and says, O oh gee, Yeah. Oh, gee, yeah. It will be, it will be. He didn't know what he meant. He goes down another two, three times. He's just can't bring himself. As, I believe in rabbis. I don't know. It's not the right girl. And he stops. Three months later, they mention another shidduch to him. The girl's name is Devorah Le'abat And he ends up marrying her. The Baba Sali saw it was the right name. He laughed because you got the right name, but the wrong girl. Oh, yeah, it will be. And sure enough, he ended up marrying her. He passed away. And on the day that he passed away, there was a terrible, terrible accident on a road that was a dangerous road. There's a lot of dangerous roads in Israel. And this road was always known for its danger and all the potential things could... But nothing ever really happened. The day he passed away, there was a major accident and many people were killed. And Yehuda Sadka said over that "What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu make that happen? Similar to what we mentioned in last week's class on Aaron and Miriam. Why was it that when Miriam passed away, the well went away and it came back Moshe Zichut, so why'd it go away if it's coming back? When our own passed away, the clouds went away and they came back. So why'd they go away and come back? To let you know what the Sadiq does for you. So Hamil Sadka says, people, he read, he was, the Baba Sadiq was ninety three, ninety four For the last year, he was weak, like Shach also for the last years of weeks. You think, you know, what's the difference? He's here. He's not here. No one could see him anyway. We don't realize that a Sadiq, just his being there atones and protects. And therefore, people didn't properly realize it, and that happened. One last story that his son-in-law told over. In the war called the Shalom HaGalil that they went to fight in Lebanon, one of the soldiers got a call. He lived in Be'er That His child is sick and he needs an emergency operation. So he asked his, the fellow in charge if he can take off three days. On his way home, he stopped off in Tivot. He went to the Sal and the Baba he says, your son does not need an operation, he'll be fine. He went to the hospital, gave him some water, and uh, it uh, it went away. He came back to his position, and the fellow in charge, who was a leftist that was on a communist kibbutz, he says, how's your son doing? He said, Baruch Hashem, he didn't need it. I went to the Baba he didn't need it. He says, you and your Babas, stop with that nonsense. That night, the fellow in charge goes to sleep, he tries sleep, he can't sleep all night. He comes to the man and says, all night I tried to sleep, and this vision of this old man keeps coming to me and bothering me, I can't sleep. He says, who was the fellow you went to? And he says, I went to the Babasali. He got into his car, he drove from Lebanon to Nativot, and he's waiting outside the Babasali. 50 people outside, he's waiting outside. The Shamosh walks out and he says, is someone just here came from Lebanon? guy says, yeah, me, how would you know? He says, the Babasali said, I should tell you, he forgives you, but in the future... Don't laugh at something that you don't understand. So this is, the point of all of this is, the Baba Sali, like many great Mukubalim, we don't always understand how it works, but sometimes you hear a story, don't laugh at things There are great people, at things that we don't understand, things that we don't see, and we pray that the Zekhut of these Sadiqim and all their holiness and all their greatness, if the Baba Sali can know what's going on in Lebanon when he's in Tivot, he can definitely know what's going on down here, And the fact that we're saying things in his memory, and we're learning from his memory, his Kiddushah, his tahara, his Hatmada, all these things should be Zahut for us. And what Khan Ben Sion said, that talking about a sadiq should bring Kapara, this should bring Kapara. And we're starting the three weeks, it should be a good omen. It says, Mitat Sadiqim is like Chorban Beit By talking about the Sadiqim, Bezrat Hashem will... Bring only Brahman Hatpakan Mazal even in these three weeks. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories2inspire